Let's open the Scriptures to the Gospel of John. John chapter 20, and we'll read the verses 1 through 23. This is, the, this is John's account of the resurrection of our Lord. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I may proclaim to you the Word of God from John 20, Gospel of John chapter 20. We'll focus on the verses 24 through 29. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So far our text for the sermon. Saints in our risen Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever experienced a serious struggle in your faith? Have you ever questioned whether all that you've taught is true or not? Sometimes the people of God can get caught up in a quagmire of doubt and uncertainty, not on purpose, not in a rebellious spirit, but simply with questions that have occurred to them that they cannot answer. Think of the many psalms, for example, uh, that express a crisis of faith. We learn from those psalms, we learn from our own experience, faith does not always come easy. And when we have faith, it's not always so strong, it's not always so steady. Well, then it's good to see this Easter Sunday morning that our risen Savior knows all about our weaknesses and our questions. This risen Savior in whom we place our faith, this Savior who in fact has given us this faith, we heard that from Ephesians 2, He knows our struggles. And He knows how to strengthen our convictions and restore our confidence just as he once did for his weakest disciple, Thomas. So I proclaim to you this word of the Lord. The risen Lord revives faith in his weakest disciple. That'll be our theme. We'll take a look at the stubborn denial and the good confession. So our text opens up with saying, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. We read about that earlier visit of the Lord. Ten of the remaining eleven disciples, Judas had, of course, committed suicide. So ten are gathered together on the first Sunday, the, the, the day of resurrection, the first Sunday after their crucifixion. They're behind locked doors. They haven't yet f believed, at least most of them haven't. And to their amazement, to their joy, suddenly there is Jesus. Only Thomas wasn't there. Some explainers find fault with Thomas for that, for being absent, but our text doesn't blame Thomas for not being there, doesn't give a reason for Thomas not being there, it just says he wasn't there. 
What we can say for sure is that God in His providence, because God's providence is always at work, God kept Thomas from gathering with the others, and He had a purpose in that too, just as God has a purpose in all the other details of Christ's earthly ministry. For in the reaction of Thomas to what the disciples told him, don't we see something of our own natural reaction? a very human reaction to news that someone has come back from the dead. The ten disciples tell Thomas what happened during his absence. Verse 25, it gets summed up here. We have seen the Lord. The verb that John uses indicates that they they kept on saying this to Thomas. We've seen him, Thomas. We've seen him. You've, You've got to believe us. They had just experienced an amazing thing. Jesus had suddenly appeared inside of their locked room. He had spoken with them. He he was there in the flesh. He clearly had risen from the dead. They could see Him. They could hear Him. They could touch Him. He even ate a piece of broiled fish, we learned from one of the other Gospels. So all ten of the disciples must have excitedly told Thomas these details over and again of how real it was, how they were overjoyed to see Him, that it was a fact, it was true. Jesus is alive. And then add to that testimony, the two disciples who were come back from the road uh, to Emmaus and their encounter with Jesus, Peter's own personal separate revelation of Jesus appearing to him, then Mary Magdalene, which we read in John's account, how she had seen Jesus, and the other women that they had seen Jesus too. Thomas, Thomas must have been overwhelmed. I mean, he, he's the only guy that hasn't seen him. From all sides, from friends, from the disciples that he knew and loved and trusted, right? These, these 11 men had traveled together for all those three years. They're telling him over and again, we have seen the Lord. It's really true. Our Master is alive. Yet Thomas does not believe. He answers them with a very forceful denial. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Sometimes, when everybody is telling us the truth, we're not ready to accept it. That's where Thomas was at. And then we we overreact and set up this huge wall of defense. It wouldn't be enough for Thomas to see the nail marks. He doesn't just say, I have to see Jesus, but He has to touch. I I have to put my fingers in the holes. I have to put my hand in the side of the Lord before I will believe. Do you see how Thomas is propping up his unbelief with virtually impossible demands, at least from his point of view? Thomas, for the last three years, had followed a truth-preaching rabbi from Nazareth a man who who could do incredible things, but he had never bargained on the last three days. He had never bargained on a crucifixion. 
much less a resurrection from the dead. All of this was beyond him at this moment. It's almost as if Thomas is afraid to believe the news of the resurrection, and so he sets the bar of proof as high as he can possibly make it so that he doesn't have to deal with that reality. I'll set the bar up here. Nobody can reach that bar, and I'll be safe on the other side. Thomas is running away from things he doesn't understand. I wonder, brothers and sisters, if, if we can relate to that. Do we do that kind of thing sometimes? You know, as Christians today, in the 21st century, we know a fair bit more than Thomas did at that moment. We have more revelation of God's saving work in Jesus Christ. We have the remainder of the New Testament. And yet, even for us, there's lots of things we don't know. And as Christians, we still have our questions, too, about many things, troublesome questions. Why does God send this hardship into my life? Why doesn't He take it away after I've prayed to Him over and again? Why does one family in the church seem to have so much adversity and another family very, very little? How is it that God has an unchangeable plan of election from eternity and yet still commands all people to repent and believe? How do those things fit together? How can a good and loving God throw people into hell for an eternity of punishment? These questions and a hundred other near impossible to answer questions, they, they too can crop up in our mind like with Thomas and like him, we're hiding behind demands for satisfactory answers before we will give ourselves to believing the gospel, to believing in Jesus Christ. I need my questions answered first. Notice how Thomas is doing that. He's asking for scientific proof verifiable by human senses. Unless I see, unless I touch, I will not believe. And that's a very natural response, isn't it? I need answers to my questions or I will not accept what you're telling me. I won't believe. The logic has to work out. The science has to be sound. I need proof or I can't accept what you're telling me. Thomas had heard the gospel. He had heard that the, the gospel, that the Savior would suffer and die and be raised on the third day. He had heard it from Jesus' own lips before Jesus went to the cross. Several times Jesus had announced that. And he heard it now after the crucifixion, after the third day. He heard it from witnesses who had seen Jesus come back to life. But he wasn't willing to accept their testimony. He refused to believe the good news until he could see and touch the proof. Brothers and sisters, let's not make the same mistake in our struggles. Temptations to question our faith, to question elements of the Bible or the gospel, they're bound to come. But don't let yourself fall back on human reasoning to work it out. For faith never depends on human logic or scientific proof. Where we can 
figure everything out. No, faith rests on God. Faith rests on the trustworthiness of the Almighty and has the absolute confidence that God has everything figured out. We can't figure everything out, but we trust that God has it figured out. And then faith is surrendering your heart to your God and Maker. Faith is trusting Him. Faith is accepting what He says to you. And His message to us is this, My Son is alive again. I sent my son to pay for your sins, and he's done that on the cross, and now he's back alive again. I've brought him to life again. And in his life, you have forgiveness of your sins. You have life everlasting. Believe it, and it's yours, says God to us. That has to be the source of our faith trusting the Word of God. In your struggles, beloved, don't seek answers from scientific theories and human logic, but go back to the Word of the living God and refresh yourself over and again with what He's saying, with His many accounts of His deeds and acts of love throughout the history of the world, right from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, right up to and beyond the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Read what God says and be assured and be reassured that Jesus is your Lord and Jesus is your God. Just as Thomas came round to confess. And we know that all the disciples were weak in faith. There's lots of evidence from other parts of the Gospels. <clears throat> they were very hesitant to believe, even on the day of resurrection. But there's good reason to consider Thomas the weakest of the lot because he refused to believe the unanimous testimony of all ten plus the women plus the other disciples. So when all your trusted peers are telling you the same thing and you don't accept it, well, that shows a stubborn streak in you, doesn't it? And yet, brothers and sisters, the Lord knows how to handle the weak and the stubborn. He starts off by making Thomas wait. I wondered if you noticed that. We, we know that Jesus appeared to individuals like Peter and Mary and the two men on the road to Emmaus. So why didn't Jesus appear to Thomas separately say on Monday morning. They're gathered here Sunday night. Why not appear to Thomas separately Monday morning or Tuesday? Why wait? Why wait an entire seven-day period? Well, think about what Thomas would have been experiencing during those seven days. Thomas would have had to reflect long and hard about all the testimony that he had been hearing from the others. No doubt they would have kept repeating it to him because they wanted him to believe. And so he had to keep turning it over in his mind. I mean, it was an extraordinary story. Fantastic, really. And then there was the fact that Jesus' body was no longer in the tomb. It was missing. Where was that? What could have happened to it? Thomas Unlike Judas, who rejected Jesus, Thomas didn't reject Jesus. He, he believed in Him in some kind of a confused way, 
but he wasn't ready to believe in Jesus as the resurrected one. And that lack of faith in the resurrection left Thomas in this place of darkness and depression. And compare that for a moment to the other ten. The other ten disciples, for that same whole week that, that Thomas is sitting there in his depression, these disciples are ecstatic. These disciples are happy as all get out. They're thrilled and they're overjoyed because they had seen and they knew their master was alive. Meanwhile, Thomas is brooding in a corner, insisting it's not so. I'll never believe it. The men who had faith in Christ's resurrection, they're filled with optimism, with renewed purpose. Thomas is resigned to pessimism and a feeling of a wasted life. I mean, what was the sense, what was the use of all that training over the last two, three years? For every day of that long week, Thomas must have felt that he had won the argument based on the, the fact that there was no proof that the others could bring forward, but he won the argument, but he lost his way because of a lack of faith. And that was much, much worse. Thomas is, is a picture, brothers and sisters, of a man who's looking for faith in all the wrong places. You can't look to science. You can't look to logic. You can't look to proof. That's a dead-ed road to follow. And the Lord lets them sit there. Sometimes the Lord does exactly that. He lets us sit in our self-imposed ignorance and unbelief to teach us a lesson. For what does unbelief get you in the end? What advantage was it for Thomas to, to not believe during this time? What advantage is it to us to demand scientific proof or insistence on having all of our questions answered to our satisfaction before we can commit and believe. What advantage? Where does it leave us? It leaves us alone with our questions, without hope, without assurance, without purpose in life, without confidence for the future. In other words, our stubbornness, it leaves us in the dark. After seven days of this brooding, the Lord Jesus comes and He intervenes. Once more, the disciples are gathered on a Sunday evening behind locked doors, same as a week earlier, only this time Thomas is there. Jesus enters and immediately says, as He did on the first occasion, peace be with you. Let's not overlook that. We, we hear that greeting frequently, but let's not overlook that as a formality. There's no formality, no formality there because Jesus had just purchased that peace two days earlier, three days earlier, with His suffering and death. And Easter Sunday was the glorious triumph and seal, and it was itself the proof that the sacrifice of the Lamb on Good Friday had been accepted by the Father. So when He comes and, and issues this greeting, it carries its full weight, its full freight. Now, there's no longer enmity or anger coming from God to His people. Now there is only peace because of what I did. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, as Paul will put it later on. Jesus wants to emphasize that for those lowly disciples and for us still today, that we have fellowship with our covenant God. We are loved by God. Our, our faults are cleared by God. And so the Savior must announce to them and to us, peace be with you. Shalom. And this peace that he announces is for Thomas as well as for the others. Notice that Jesus did not hold off this greeting until things are resolved with this stubborn disciple. Nor does Jesus say, peace to all of you except for the doubting Thomas. No, peace peace to you all. Also for you, Thomas, the weakest of the eleven, there is peace. Christ does not snuff out a smoldering wick, but He says to him, peace be to you. Remember that, brothers and sisters, when you hear that greeting of peace, because we hear it at the beginning of every worship service, grace and peace to you. That's how God greets us. He says it to the weak among us. He says it to the strong among us. He says it to the young and the old and everybody in between, to all His people. Remember that too when you take of the bread and take of the drink of the cup. There is peace for you, purchased by Jesus, peace for all God's people. And on the heels of this greeting, the Lord Jesus immediately goes to work to revive faltering Thomas. Verse 27, he says to Thomas, go ahead, Thomas, put your finger here. Go ahead. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it here in my side where the spear went in. Do not disbelieve, Thomas. Believe. Can you imagine, beloved, what would have flashed through the mind of Thomas in that instant? I mean, the proof is now fully before him, like he never imagined it could be. Jesus is alive and well. This hits Thomas like a ton of bricks. And what's more, my master knows everything I've ever said. In my stupidity, in my stubborn unbelief, I laid down a challenge of proof I thought no one could bring to me. But Jesus not only heard all my words, what a fool I've been, but here He is giving me the very proof I've demanded, what blindness I had before. But now I see. Our Lord, beloved, He hears our questions. He's with us in our thoughts. He knows what comes to our mind. He, he knows about those unanswerable questions we have. He hears the cries of our hearts. He is always with us. And we might be tempted to hide behind a lack of scientific evidence or unanswered questions so that we don't have to surrender to Him. But when we are tempted to do that, beloved, remember Thomas. Remember what he experienced Thomas was confronted by the very Savior he questioned, and in that moment there was nowhere to turn. Nowhere to turn except 
to turn to Jesus, to finally surrender to Christ. That's what Thomas did. Or rather, that's what the Lord Jesus caused Thomas to do. There's no record of Thomas actually touching Jesus as if he would have gone through with it to actually touch the nail holes and put his hand in his side. He didn't need to do that. In that moment of time, Thomas is convinced of the truth and he instantly responds with the strongest confession, the, the clearest confession of faith yet from any of the, of the disciples. He says, my Lord and my God. It's short, but it's got all the Easter gospel in it, doesn't it? He says, my Lord. That means my master. It's an acknowledgement that you, Jesus, are my Lord and my Master. You own me. I'm your servant. You are the one who has purchased me. You are the one who has rights to me. You are the one to whom I belong. I love you, my Lord. I'm sorry that I ever doubted. Thank you for granting your peace also to me. You are my Lord. All of that's included in that. And then he adds, my God. Jesus, you are my God. This weakest disciple is led to make the strongest confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, I, I, I know, I see it now like I didn't see it before. You are the Almighty in the flesh. You are my Savior and my King. Do you see, brothers and sisters, what the Lord Jesus did for this weakest of disciples, how He revived His faith? So when your faith is weak, when your faith is struggling and at a low ebb, don't let that get you down. Because our Lord Jesus, He specializes in helping the weak. Only don't run away from Him. And don't try to hide behind human reasonings, but turn to Him. Turn to His Word. Turn to His Word in the Bible. Turn to His Word in the preaching. Turn to His Word in the sacrament. Jesus gives us all these things to strengthen our faith. Also the sacrament of Lord's Supper. This, this meal, it's not a bonus meal for super believers. The Lord's Supper is not an an extra reward for saints that are, are, are cut above the rest, uh, a few saints that have got it figured out. There are no super believers. And all the saints of God are on an equal footing. Nobody's a cut above the rest. You know what this meal is? This is a meal that feeds the hungry those who hunger in their souls for salvation and the assurance of salvation, this meal satisfies that hunger. This meal is given to feed the faith, to feed the confidence and the assurance of salvation in the heart of every believer. And the assurance and the confidence and help is needed because every believer is as weak as water in themselves, like Thomas was in himself, like Peter was, right? The captain of the twelve. He was one of the weakest during his earthly ministry. Same with John. Same with all the others. 
The Lord's Supper is given alongside of the preaching to revive our faith, to renew our confidence, to impress upon us that Jesus wasn't just crucified at the skull. He was crucified for me at the skull, for you at the skull. His blood wasn't just poured out for believers in general. It was poured out specifically. It was poured out personally for you, for me, just as surely as we eat the bread and drink of the wine. So Jesus' body and blood were given for each of us personally. Thomas was blessed to have that rich confession blossom out of his heart and pour out off his lips. But did you see the special blessing that our, our resurrected Lord gives to those who come after Thomas? A special blessing actually for you, for me. Verse 29, Jesus says to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Here's the, here it is. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, Jesus was thinking about you. He was thinking about us here in Ancaster Pew 2,000 years later and all the Christians who would come after Thomas. Jesus says to you, rest assured that though you have never laid eyes on me in the flesh, you've not seen me, but yet you believe in me then know this, my blessing rests upon you. For faith in Christ is a gift, right? It's a miracle from God that we should believe. I mean, think about this, that we should believe not only in the existence of a man named Jesus 2,000 years ago, but also that this man named Jesus was crucified, that he was buried and raised back to life for our redemption. Who's going to believe that? Thomas was confronted in the end with hard proof, and he believed. We are only confronted with the, the simple preaching of the gospel, the, the foolish preaching. And yet, we believe. How do you explain that? The Spirit of Christ. It's the only explanation. Wonder of wonders. Another generation stands up and willingly and earnestly confesses, we believe in Jesus Christ, crucified and raised. So, beloved, if that is the, the confession of your heart, then know you are blessed by Jesus. And rejoice in that. And receive now his body and blood at his table for your further encouragement and comfort. Weak disciples, yeah, that's what we all are. But we belong to the risen Lord today and forever. And he says, my peace is with you. Amen.